0: Well, it's, Joel is out of town this week, and Joel had very specific instructions not to let Luke out of his cage, uh, but when the cat's away, we do what we want, right? So, so, so we let Luke out of his cage this week, uh, and so whenever Joel gets back, be sure and let him know that, that, that you like seeing him out here. Uh, we'll go ahead and dismiss our kids this morning to Kids Church. As they're being dismissed. If you have your Bibles, apparently she didn't want to go. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to look at at God's promises and how He fulfills His promises according to His will and according to His timetable this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 25. I know the first few chapters of 2 Samuel... Uh, it has been, there, there's been a lot of history, a lot of table setting, uh, that has taken place. Uh, we're about to really start rolling, uh, in the narrative of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant is going to be moved, uh, back to Jerusalem. 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see, uh, the covenant that God established with David and his sons, uh, to be on the throne for all of eternity. And so we're, we're really going to get into a lot of the meat uh, of the text as we begin to work through these narratives over the next few weeks. So 2 Samuel chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 25 this morning, and then I'm going to do my very best to unpack this for us. Second Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 25. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all of the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned thirty-three years over all of Israel and Judah. Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, and they said to David, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame shall turn you away, thinking David cannot enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul through the water tunnel. Therefore they say that the blind or the lame shall not come into the house. So David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Melo inward. And David came. David became greater and greater for the Lord God of hosts was with him. And then Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent a messenger to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stone masons, and they built a house for David. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Meanwhile, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, and he came, he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamuah, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. And when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines came, spread themselves over all of the valley of Rephium. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Wilt thou give them into my hands? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And so David came to Baal-perazim and defeated them there. And the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the, break, like the breakthrough of the waters. Therefore he named that place Baal perazim. And they abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away. Now the Philistines came up once again and spread themselves out over the valley of Rephraim. And David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go directly up, circle around behind them. Come at them in front of the balsam trees. And he said, When you hear the, thousand, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall act promptly, for then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. And David did so, just as the Lord had commanded him. And he struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Let's pray. God, as we see this passage, Lord, may we see Your promises, may we see Your faithfulness, and may You speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you read through that passage and you were confused, you should be. This passage is not chronological. And when you read through this, you read verses 1-5, through five and you're like, okay, David becomes king. And then you read the next few verses, and you're like, Wait a second. They're building the temple? Why, why, why are they building a temple? And why are they talking about, you know, the, the, the Jebusites? And then you're, and then you see, you know, it, it kind of fast forwards to the end of David's reign. And then it, it flashes back and there's this battle with the Philistines. This passage is not a, a chronological narrative, but rather this passage is, is more like a, a snapshot. It's more like a collage of the, of the reign of David. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see four different passages that kind of take a snapshot. The first five verses is, is, is an overview. David becomes king over all of Israel. And it talks about how, how the northern tribes came to, came to David after the death of, of Ishbosheth. And they said, they said, David, we understand that God is fulfilling his promises and we want you to be our king, just like you were the king of Judah and the southern kingdoms. And so, so we see the snapshot. And then there's that verse in there that says, David ruled over Judah for 40 years and he ruled over the northern kingdom for 33 and a half. Years and so, so there is this idea, and there is this this overarching backdrop that this is the the narrative for all of David's reign. And then you see this this snapshot there of of David defeating the Jebusites, and we're going to look at how that is a fulfillment of God's promises, and then we're going to look at at how how. Hiram comes and, and, and there's a, a house built for David there in Jerusalem and how that is a foreshadowing of David's coming kingdom. And then we're going to look at the battle between the Philistines as a picture of, of God's providence and God's promises being fulfilled as we follow God's direction. And so I want us to see that this is not, this narrative is not a chronology. And so if you read that and you're like, what? What is he saying? Then, then you're not you're not abnormal. Most people read this and are like, what? I I I thought you know David did. He was just king over Judah. Now he's king over everything. But but the temple's not built till the end of of Second Samuel and it's under the reign of Solomon. What, what, what's going on? And so as we look at this, this is more like a collage than it is a chronology. Makes sense. Clears mud. All right. Let's go back and let's look at the overarching theme of this passage. The overarching theme of this passage is that God fulfills His promises. That God makes us promises, and God does what He says He's going to do. And if you are human, then you know that we break promises. Ask my children; they will tell you. You know, have you ever noticed that that kids they can't ever remember where they put their shoes? They can't ever remember to clean up their room. They can't ever remember to brush their teeth. But if you told them one time in the history of your life that if you do this, then we'll go get ice cream, or or you know if 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 you do this, then 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 you can have a snack, or if you do this, then we'll get you a surprise. They don't forget that, do they? They don't. And and, and in fact, they'll come up to you, you know, six months later. And they say, Dad, you remember whenever you said if I cleaned my room that you'd buy me a toy? Well, I cleaned my room. And, and so can, can, can we go to Walmart? Can we go get a toy? Because I cleaned my room. And you said, you said that if I cleaned my room, I, I could get a toy. And I'm like, what? When did I say if you cleaned your room, you could get a toy? And, and, and they'll say, oh, well, back whenever I was four, you told me that if I cleaned my room. And you're like, what? They don't forget anything. They don't forget anything. And we, as humans, we are notorious for breaking our promises, aren't we? Has anybody ever made a deal with God? You ever bargained with God? You know, you've, <laughs> you've been you know, sick, or you found yourself in a, in a circumstance or situation, and, and probably by your own doing, And then you make these statements, you say, God, if you will just get me out of this, God, if you'll just allow me to feel better, then I will read my Bible every day for the rest of my life, or I will never miss a Sunday going to church from here to eternity. We, we make these promises, and as soon as we, as soon as we get out of our circumstance or get out of the situation that we're in, what do we do? Ah, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna skip this one day. Just gonna skip this one Sunday. As humans, it is our nature to lie and to break our promises. But God's nature is not like that. God is by His very nature and by the very essence of His character, He is faithful. And He does what He says He's going to do. I want us to look at this text, because this text begins highlighting God's promises. Chapter 5. Israel comes to David. Verse 5, chapter 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then all of the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. Now Hebron is in Judah. Hebron is in the southern kingdom. Hebron is in Judah. And all of the northern kingdom, all the rest of the tribes come to Israel. And they, and they said to him, listen to what they said. Behold, your bone, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over all of Israel. All of Israel knew of the promises of God. They knew that Samuel had anointed David as king over all of Israel. Yet by their own pride and by their own arrogance, they said, we will not follow after this man. We will not surrender ourselves. We will not submit ourselves to this, to this lowly shepherd boy. We want a king like all the other nations. We want a king who is taller, who is stronger, who is better looking. We want a king who comes from a better pedigree. We want to be like everyone else. And Israel acknowledges here in 2 Samuel Samuel chapter 5 that God has anointed David as the king over all of Israel. Verse 3, So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. And they anointed David king over Israel. And so we see, for the first time, David is king over not just Judah, Not just a a rogue tribe, but he is king over all of Israel. God fulfills His promise. Now I want us to understand that as David becomes king over the northern kingdom, we see the faithfulness of God in spite of opposition. You know, the opposition against God and His promises, the opposition against God and His will, and the opposition against God and His ways does not thwart, it does not impede the providence and the promises of God. Let me remind us of some of the opposition that David has overcome to become king over all of Israel. Remember there was one time whenever David was sought after for his life by Saul and all of the armies of Israel. Remember 1 Samuel, as we walked through the book of 1 Samuel, David spent the majority of the book of 1 Samuel running for his life He would run to the mountains. He would hide in the mountains. Saul would throw spears at his head. Saul would send send his daughter-in-law to deceive David, who was David's wife, to deceive David and hand David over to Saul. Saul tried time and time and time again to kill David. Yet God preserved David because God had made a promise to David. Not only did David... Fulfilled, not only did God fulfill his promises to David in spite of his attacks from Saul, but remember there was a man named Abner who, after the death of Saul, sought to kill David, sought to raise up Ishbosheth because he knew that Ishbosheth could, could that, that, that he was a puppet and that he can control Ishbosheth. And Abner sought to dethrone David and sought to remove all of the power from David. And then there were the Philistines, the enemies of God. God's promises will come to pass in spite of intense opposition. I want us to remember this church in our world today it's easy for us to watch the news. It's easy for us to see the, the agenda of the enemy evident before us that they are stripping, uh, they're stripping our nation, they're stripping us of the the of religion isn't it interesting that that the only thing that we're called to be intolerant of is Christianity we're called to tolerate Islam and we're called to tolerate atheism and we're called to tolerate this liberalism that that is a very threat to the very essence of our morality, a very threat to the very essence of God's Word. Yet anytime we stand up and we speak for righteousness, we speak for integrity, we're called bigots and we're called intolerant. There is an attack on the very fabric of of the nature of Christianity. But I want to remind us, church, that in the midst of opposition, God's promises are faithful. God is not threatened by an immoral government. God is not threatened by by apathy and indifference amongst the church. God is not threatened. God is not threatened by by an antagonistic opposition to Christianity. He never has been. Because God's promises are faithful even in the midst of opposition. In fact, we see history has proven time and time again God's Word and God's Kingdom thrives in opposition. Where when the government and the people are complicit to Christianity, it flounders. History has taught us that the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. Where is the Christian church thriving? In communist China. Where is the Christian church thriving? In Southeast Asia where they're killing Christians simply for being Christians. Where is the church floundering, declining? In a free America. God's promises are faithful even in the midst of opposition. Look at the next passage. And I want us to see this. This is is something that that it's going to discourage you and encourage you both at the same time. As we look at verses six, so we look at verses six and seven. I want us to see what what God is doing here. Now, the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, and they said to David, "You shall not come in here, but by the blind and the lame, and they shall turn you away, thinking David cannot enter here." Now, I want to point out to you what what the inhabitants of the Jebusites are saying. Now, the the Jebusites are the people that are living in the land of Jerusalem. They're living in the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be the capital of Israel. But at this point, Jerusalem is still inhabited by the Jebusites. This was the last remaining people to be driven out of the land. Now remember, God had commanded the Israelites generations and generations ago, go inhabit the land, drive out all of its inhabitants. I have given you this land. And Israel was partially obedient. They went into the land and they began to drive people out, but they made a a treaty, a covenant with the Gibeonites and they did not fully drive out all of the people. And so we see the book of Judges as a result of that. Because of Israel's partial obedience, We see that, that there were remained a, a people that were not Israelite. There remained a Canaanite remnant there in the land of Canaan. And Israel began, after the generation of Joshua, Israel began to follow after the gods of these other nations. Now, go with me, if you will, to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, chapter 15. So I want you to see how God makes his promises and fulfills his promises. Now this passage falls somewhere in the ballpark of about 800 years prior to 2 Samuel. Genesis chapter 15 in the chronology of the nation of Israel is about 800 years prior to David and the conquest of Jerusalem. I want us to see that God makes a covenant with His people and God fulfills His promise. Chapter 18, is that right? Genesis chapter fifteen verses eighteen. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, "To your descendants, I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Kedarite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and lastly the what? Jebusite. Lastly." The Jebusites. That is not coincidental. The last tribe that Israel would drive out is the Jebusites. Where do they live? They live in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem would become the capital of Israel. What this tells us, church is that some 800 years after God made this, problem to, this promise to Abraham, some 800 years, God is finally fulfilling His promises. Did Abraham see the fulfillment of this promise? No. When Abraham died, how much land did Abraham and Israel own? I'll give you a hint. One burial plot. When Abraham died, they had nothing. Israel had not inhabited the land. When Isaac died, Israel had not inhabited the land. Whenever Jacob died, Israel had only partially inhabited the land. 800 years after God made His promise to Abraham, God would fulfill it. What this tells us is that God's promises are faithful and God will fulfill His promises in spite of all opposition. And God will fulfill his promises according to his timetable, not our timetable. Now, for many of us, that can be discouraging. Because we want God to move when we want God to move, right? In fact, one of the the biggest frustrations as a parent is you tell your kids to do something, and they do it on their timetable, not your timetable, right? You tell your kids, you said, go cut the grass. Well, in your mind, you mean now, right? And so, so you leave and you go run an errand or you go in the back and you come back in and you know, they're sitting on the couch and you're like, I told you to go cut the grass. Why aren't you cutting the grass? Or I told you to go clean your room. I told you to empty the dishwasher. And, and, and they work on their own timetable and it's frustrating. Well, well as, as the people of God, we need to understand that God works on His timetable, not our timetable. We are subject to His providence and His will, not our own. God is not subject to us. God is not a a gumball machine that that we put in our request and that He fulfills our request based upon our request and our timetable. God is the one who is providential. God is the one who is fulfilling His promises according to His great glory. Do you understand that all that God does is for His glory? What if God had driven out all of the inhabitants of the land and given it to Abraham? We would not have Rahab, the prostitute, who comes to faith in Christ through the spies. We would not have Ruth, the Moabitess, enemy of God, who is redeemed by Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. We would not have all that God desires for us, all of His goodness, all of the riches of His glory, if God had moved according to our timetable. But be be mindful that God will fulfill His promises in spite of all opposition, according to his timetable. Now I want to point out to you what the text tells us. The Jebusites thought that their city was impregnable. They thought that their city was so fortified that no one would be able to come in. In fact, they say, they say, David, we don't even need to send anyone out to defend our city. The lame and the blind are good enough to defend our city from you. And David said, oh, is that right? What archaeologists and what the Scripture has told us is that David shut off the water supply to the city. And through shutting off the water supply, he said, oh, the the lame and the blind can protect your city, can they? And David is able to to dry the city up and through the providence of God is able to capture Jerusalem. I want us to understand that after David captures Jerusalem, he has a profound revelation that ought to speak to our hearts. Look at verse 12. After David captures Jerusalem, David realizes that the Lord has established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom, for whom? For the sake of his people. Not for the sake of David, Not so that David could, could become great. Not so that, so that David could be exalted amongst all the leaders of Israel. Not so that David's name could be great. So that David's family name could be great. So that David could inhabit all of, uh, all of Jerusalem and inherit all of, all of God's riches. But David realizes that God had made David king for the people of Israel. Do you realize? Do we realize that God's blessings and God's providence and God's fulfillment of promise in our lives is not for us? But it's for His greater glory? Have you ever sat and asked yourself, why in the world am I blessed in such a way? Why why do I have all of, of, of these blessings of family and, and, and money and security and, and, and all of these blessings that I don't deserve? Has anybody ever asked themselves that question? I know I have. I've looked at my children. I've looked at my family. I've looked at, at my church. I've looked at all of the blessings that God has given me and I've asked myself, God, why? Because I know my heart. I know that I'm wicked. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that that everything that I have is by grace and I don't deserve any of this. David realized he had been made king, not so that David could be great, but because God wanted to use him to bless Israel. What if God has blessed you for the sole purpose that you can bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus? What if God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others? What if God has blessed you with children and family and finances and security and all of the blessings that He has blessed you with so that you can use it to serve? We are so egocentric. We are so self-serving. Because we're human. Let us hear what God has told David. I have made you king so that you can be a blessing to Israel. What if God has given you the blessings that He's given you so that you can be a blessing to us? Now now don't misunderstand me. All of the goodness and the joy and the happiness, that, that is an overflow of the abundance of God's grace but that's not the primary purpose. His primary purpose is for you to be an instrument of grace to others. Now, as you're reading this, there ought to be something that that jumps out to you and says, this isn't right. Is there? All the wives say yes. (laughs) When we get to this chapter about David's concubines and David's wives and all the kids that are born to David, how many of the wives say, wait a second, I got a problem with that? Because the husbands are saying, see, this, this this gives us a license, right? We 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 can go get some more concubines and 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 you know, we can we can, hey baby, I'm just trying to be like David. I want to be like the king of Israel, right? No, I want us to understand what the text is saying. And and we need to remember that there are prescriptive texts and there are descriptive texts. This is a descriptive text. And what this tells us, what this tells us is it ought to temper us from worshiping the gift rather than the giver. David is the instrument that God uses. David is the gift to Israel. David is not God. And this reminds us of David's fallibility. It reminds us of David's humanity. Why did kings take concubines? Why did they have multiple children from multiple wives? Because it secured for them political interest. It secured for them power. It secured for them geographical domination. This was a very cultural, very political statement. As David takes wives and takes concubines and has children after children after children with multiple wives and multiple women, he does so for political reasons. It ought to temper us and remind us that we are not to worship men, but we are to worship the God of men. See the, see the flaws, see the humanity in David. And we'll see that come to play later on in the book of 2 Samuel. As we draw to a close, I want us to remind, I want us to be reminded of how God fulfills His promise. We've already looked at We've already looked at the fact that God fulfills His promises in spite of all opposition and that God fulfills His promises according to His own timetable. Not according to our timetable. Sometimes 800 years later, God does it according to His timetable. But I want us to see, we're going to look at this last, this last interaction with David and the people of Israel and this battle against the Philistines and we're going to see the very practical aspect of how God fulfills His promises. So, if you look... If you look at chapter 2 Samuel chapter 3 verse 18, we are reminded that David is not the deliverer of Israel, that God is the deliverer of Israel. Chapter 3 verse 18. For the Lord has spoken to David saying, "By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people from it. I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all of their enemies." Now, don't be mistaken. God is going to use David as an instrument, but who's the deliverer? Let's look at what the text says in chapter 3, verse 18. God said, I will deliver. I will do so through my servant David, but I will be the deliverer. So as David is seeking the Lord, as he goes to the Lord, as he goes to battle with the Philistines, who is the deliverer? And all the church said, God. All right, we're going to try that one more time. Who is the deliverer? God. Is David the deliverer? No. No. David is the instrument. David is the tool. David is the mechanism. But God is the deliverer. 2 Samuel chapter 5. I want us to see the details of this battle. There are two times that David seeks the Lord. And I want to notice that each time God tells David to do something different. Verse 19. Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Wilt thou give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up. I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. Verse 23. When David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go directly up, but circle around behind them and wait for my signal. So, I want us to point out to you that God is the deliverer. God is going to fulfill His promises in spite of all opposition according to his own timetable but i want us to point out something i want to point out something very very specific to you that god's deliverance comes at his guidance god's deliverance god's salvation god's providence god's promise comes at god's guidance when we are obedient to god when we seek to do his will his way We see the fulfillment of God's promises. There are two very distinct, different responses. Same question. Two responses. Now, this has less to do with the military strategy and more to do with the fact that God, that that David sought God's will and God responded to David. Do you see the difference? David said, what do you want me to do? First time he said, go up. The second time he said, wait. Don't go up. This tells us that when we seek God, when we seek His direction, that He will speak to us. Jeremiah 33.3, 3, you will seek me. I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 33.3, 3, call to me and I'll answer you and tell you great and mighty things which you know not. Jeremiah chapter 29. Verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely thereof. Whenever we seek God, he will respond. He will give us answers. And we know that whenever we seek God and we follow him and we are obedient to him, that he will do his will in spite of all opposition. He will fulfill his promises according to his timetable and we will be, we will see deliverance. We will see God's blessings whenever we seek God's will. And so as I leave you this morning, church, maybe you're not experiencing the fullness of God's promises. Maybe it's because you're not heeding God's guidance. There is a methodology. There is a way that God desires for us to live. Something that's that I want to challenge you to do this week I want to challenge you to go back in Scripture. Look at the relationship between righteousness and peace. There's there's all kinds of relationships that we see throughout uh, throughout Scripture with, with words. See, God's kindness and mercy is always often put together. Love and grace is often put together. Joy is often put together with love. Something that I noticed, righteousness and peace are often partnered together. Because when we live righteously, when we live according to God's direction, when we live according to how God has prescribed us to live, we find peace. And I don't think that that's coincidental. When we seek to do God's will, God's way, God fulfills His promise. God gives us grace. He gives us mercy. And maybe we're not experiencing the fullness of God's blessings in our life. Maybe we're not experiencing the promises of God in our life. And maybe it's because we are not living righteously. Maybe it's because we're not heeding God's guidance. Maybe this morning God is calling us to repent and follow Him. The good news of the Gospel is that When we repent, we find grace. God's grace is full and God's grace is free. If you're like me, you find yourself more times than not doing things your way rather than God's way. Jesus promises us that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. This morning, I want to encourage you to remember God's promises. Remember that He fulfills His promises in spite of all opposition according to His timetable. And He desires you to seek His guidance. Will you pray with me? God, we thank You that You fulfill Your promises according to Your will. I thank You that You fulfill Your promises according to Your timetable. As You've poured out Your grace and Your mercy and Your blessings to our church, to Your people, God, may You use us to serve others. May we be a blessing to others. As You fulfill Your promises in our life, May we be obedient. May we seek you. We seek to honor you with our lives. There are those here this morning, Lord, who've who've been trying to do life their own way, trying to figure it out, using worldly wisdom. And you've called us to seek wisdom that's from above. If you've been trying to figure it out on your own, maybe God is speaking to your heart. Maybe God's calling you to do things His way. That starts by surrendering your life to Jesus. Understand that God is our Deliverer. He delivers us through His Son, Jesus. Delivers us from sin, death, and the grave. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come during our Hymn of invitation. Maybe you simply need to come to this altar. Rest in the promises that God has for you. As we worship this morning, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. May you convict us of sin. May you bring us into obedience. We ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name.